uh, welcome back to the Y Hockey Periodically Learning Something Every Day podcast. We are recording this during the Toronto-Detroit game in Stockholm. And thank you, Gordon Miller. I did not know that the Swedish League allows teams to play with 20 skaters rather than 18. So they have longer benches. I did not know that, so I've learned something new today. Always a fan of longer benches. Uh, you know, it's just nice to have the space, but there's something incredible about sliding down a bench. So the more room to do it, the better for me. I like it. It's a fun little thing. Well, we were also having a debate before we started recording about uh, could we ever see the NHL expand skaters to 20? And uh, I know why some people in the league would not want to do that, but also there are more games than ever before, and the playoffs are brutal, as seen by the gruesome injuries people play for. So if you expanded skaters to 20, less ice time for your stars. I understand why you want your stars on the ice more, but your players are more fresh for the playoffs where it matters most. I'm... I don't know if I'm for expanding the dress skaters to 20. I'm much more for expanding rosters, getting into resting players, getting into rotating a larger swath of forwards and defensemen in. I mean, I think the talent level's there where, you know, your seventh defenseman, your 13th forward are probably just as good as your 12th or 6th. And by keeping them fresh, it's better if you have long-term injuries. It helps you avoid injuries. Um, I'm all for it. And I think you can, you know, especially during playoffs, guys get hurt. You know, I think you could have a rule where you could dress a scratch from the same position, whether it's a defenseman or forward of the person who gets hurt, if they're not returning, uh, you know, for the start of the next period. So, you know, if you lost someone with 12 minutes left in the third, okay, you're playing short the rest of the period. But if it was the first or the second, you could get somebody back for the rest of the game. Something like that would be fine. Because, you know, in all honesty, it takes these guys, you know, 15 minutes to get dressed, and that's probably accounting for them getting down there. I don't know how long it takes to get down there from the Depends press box. Depends on uh, how uh, the elevators from the press box are but, going. But, you mean... You know, if you, you know, you have the rest of that period and then the intermission to get. So that that's gives them enough time to theoretically get ready. Well, it's interesting because we're having a debate. I mean, we the Royal way in soccer about, you know, are we burning players to a crisp with how many games yes. they have to play? And uh, the answer to that is yes. We are <laughs> and, burning and where players the games to a crisp. Are located. And yeah, um, oh, yeah, where games are being played. You're flying all around the world. I, I personally think... I mean, as someone who follows Real Madrid and all the injuries coming off the last two FIFA breaks uh, and just the season in general, um, like it, I, it makes sense that they do the Champions League and other cups and stuff filtered into the regular domestic league season. But I think they should just do FIFA qualifying at the like at the end of the season or something and take it out. And uh, these breaks where teams lose guys in the middle of seasons on a run is just, it's devastating for, for fan bases, you know, uh, big hello. club. Like I am Real a Tottenham Madrid, Hotspur but... supporter. I can't tell you how many times players have come back from international duty with injuries. Right. Not to say that they don't get injuries in normal gameplay, as I have learned the hard way recently, or stupid red cards, either way. But it might be better to do that in June and July or whatever. 
then... look, look, there's a lot that I would change in soccer that doesn't yes. work right now. Uh, and that's not the podcast for this. But, but I, I do I do think that they should, you know, I think, I think, you know, you look at some of the way, you know, football and hockey, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of managers that do not change their lineup a lot. There's a lot of hockey coaches that don't change their lineup a lot. And it means guys playing a lot of hockey and guys who probably could play 10 or 15 more games a year sitting on the sideline getting rusty and then basically playing for their job when they're thrown in given small amounts of minutes being asked to just jump back into game speed without playing a while and then we throw shit on them for their form because it's bad and it's just like you know, maybe Casey Fitzgerald would do better if he was rotated in more. Maybe Mike Riley. I know I'm not a big Mike Riley fan, but I even agree that even Mike Riley would be better. Stolars would be better if they got rotated in more. Um, and so I'm I'm all for expanding, playing these guys more games and everything, but expand the roster and make it much more accepted to rotate guys in and out. Like, the NHL might have to change the salary cap, but I think there like, are ways you could do that. If, Barkov, if Barkov's going to play 65 games to 70 games and get hurt, I'd rather just rest him and play 65 games to 70 and hopefully be proactive about that injury. Especially as, and you know, I'm thinking, you know, we could get 20 seasons out of Barkov potentially, or, you know, any player, if you, you know that you draft and is able to matriculate to the NHL right away or pretty quickly, you can get a lot of seasons out of them. But, you know, thinking about it that way, it's how do you manage their minutes over their career? You know, their mileage. It's not minutes at that point. It's mileage, you know, over their career, especially if you're a team that wants to have long playoff runs every year. Um, You know, thinking about guys playing into their mid thirties, later thirties, and being somewhat, you know, valuable and being able to contribute, that's something you have to think about because at the end of the day, you're going to want Barkov around if he still wants to play and he's still, you know, a top six or a mid six center, uh, you know, capable of doing some nice things at both ends of the ice. Well, it's interesting because we're having the, you know, debates on contracts now and who you give them to and how analytics say you fall off a cliff from a performance perspective after you're 30. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. And it's like, maybe you wouldn't fall off a cliff after you're 30 if you don't burn these guys to a crisp from their 18 to 29. And if you manage it a little more, you can get more out of them. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure yeah. that out. There are other people in the world who hopefully are. Yeah, because I, not I mean, every player turns into a pumpkin the minute they turn thirty, and it's not. I'm not just saying that because I turned thirty in August. I'm saying this because in general, you can manage players who also can get better when they get older, or develop new skill sets, or find a new role. Yeah, it's always possible. Anyway, yeah, and it's tough. It's tough for the top players, but you know they don't have to sit up much. It's you know, but you know, given some good rest over across the season and sitting out five or six games or something is fine. You know, I, I I much prefer that than going down to 60 some games or 72 games or whatever. You know, I'd much rather play more hockey and just have more professional hockey players have more NHLers. I mean, the skill levels there, uh, you know, it's pretty fun watching AHL games now. 
uh, and you see a lot of good hockey in AHL. I don't think you're going to dilute the talent too much by adding or, you know, making changes to allow a couple extra guys being able to rotate, you know, into playing more often and having some fun tournaments, uh, joining the Champions League maybe and, and doing some games against European teams would be really fun, would generate a lot of revenue, would grow the game, create new hockey players, new hockey fans, sell merchandise, sell unique one-off merchandise and have opportunities for unique one-off partnerships and sponsors and all that good stuff. So I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of that, to be honest with you. Uh, it was a good topic to bring up. Don't, don't disagree. And uh, this does allow us at this point to transition to, well, speaking of players coming back, maybe a little sooner than they should. I mean, we don't have medical information. We were recording this the day that Brandon Montour and Aaron Eckblad may return. I don't know if they're going to or not. Uh, we've had the debate on whether they should or not. I at this I think at this they stage. wait for the. I think they wait for the home. I think they should wait for the home game because it's better if they return for the home game anyway. But uh, the whole debate on this is not should they return when they're healthy because it's evident that they think they're healthy and they have more information than we do. My point is. If you don't necessarily need them, don't put more miles on the clock because you know what they're going to go through in the most important time of the season come uh, April. There, I mean, there's also strategic reasons to let it play out a little more. Um, you have defensemen that are going to have to be moved at some point to bring these guys back. I mean, I think, I think at this point, given... Given that uh, Jonah Gadovich Gadovich came up, who's a a good player, I like him as you know one of those rotation players that we talked about, uh, you know, just on the last topic. But um, I think they can send Uvis down to the AHL without requiring waivers to, and because Mahor is now on the IR after getting bumped up and bruised up, I don't think he's prob. I think he's probably borderline. I don't know. This is just a guess. I shouldn't say this, but you know, it, it seems very convenient, and uh, you know, maybe it's coincidence. But I think maybe it's them buying some time uh, before they have to make decisions on some of these guys because, for the most part, they're all playing well. They all have warts, flaws, mistakes, but they're all playing better than I expected, and they're all having some sort of level of cohesion, chemistry. And they're definitely competitive enough. Well, here's the thing that I find interesting about the decisions when Ekblad and Montour come back. Because we already said before the season they didn't actually need LTI. They could figure out a way to put everybody under the cap. 13-8 is probably what they're going to do. And they're not actually in any sort of cap problem. So that's not the issue here. It's a matter of like, do you want to send Riley or Kulikov to the AHL and hope they don't get claimed? Because maybe somebody does. Although... I don't think well, losing Mike uh, Riley is going to kill them. Personally, I think it's obvious that Riley's the first on the chopping block. But once Mahora gets healthy, someone else is going to have to be on. Like, they are going to have to waive two defensemen or send Uvis down. I think it would be... I'm not saying it's a dumb move to send Uvis down because it's asset management, but... 
it wouldn't be the move I pick. I think he's shown it would not himself, be either for me. I think he's shown himself to be in the top five of the defensemen that are playing right now. And to me, seeing as they have seven rostered and they need to drop two, that keeps him safe. I am going to say that, I mean, yes, it is good for our agenda that Belinska steps in and looks pretty dang good by just playing in the Czech League and then doing good scouting in Europe. It is yeah, very I good mean, for he our had, agenda. He, he, I mean, and, and I'm really happy for him because as, you know, you can read George Richard's piece on it, you know, detailing his journey, his weaving, you know, zigzagging journey through the European professional leagues to get to his first NHL goal. I thought I, those are the pieces I, I think are the best uh, when it comes to hockey journalism, hockey writing, those um, those types of stories. Uh, but I I think the way he plays fits the Florida mantra and ethos that they've had recently so well. But I also think he's such a great example of like the good mistakes of – you know, the tolerable turnovers, the, um, you know, the learning curve that you're willing to put up with versus maybe some others. Uh, you know, I, I, I so I, I really like him for, for that reason. Um, you know, I, I think when he's making mistakes, you know, he's getting caught on pinches. They're good pinches. Um, but then you look at maybe Mikola's pinch in Los Angeles, which was, you know, for me was a clear bad pinch. And then Kulikov was just, you know, off his angle if he was a goalie, so to speak, on that 201 and basically gave up a breakaway. Um, you know, those mistakes are, are less tolerable. Uh, and even so Mikola has been really, pretty good. Like yeah, there's been I mean, nothing wrong. Like I, th I think that's part of just their system. Like they're yeah. going to have players that make bad pinches and it leads to odd man rushes. Now this year they've actually not been giving up a terrible amount of odd man rushes. It's certainly better than it was, but they're still doing it. But I think that's just part of how they play. Well, yes. Yes. But it's, you know, you're looking at Mikola. It was too early in the game. He hesitated. He wasn't making like it was just a bad read. He he knew there wasn't support for his partner back, and he knew, you know, he was leaving a guy standing next to him to make that jump. He knew that meant that there was going to be you know numbers the other way, and you know, there's just diff like it's game management and defensemen ha like every defenseman. Are like basic level of you being defenseman is you should know better than forwards and as good as a goalie how to manage a game, how to manage the puck, how to keep possession, how to, you know, you know, beginning of games, end of beginning of periods, end of periods. You know, you don't want to give up goals. You have to be you have to be smart about stuff. Know when to press, know when to put your press the pedal. I mean, the best teams are really good at that. Tampa, we always use as the example. They know when, they know, like, they kind of just hang in there with teams on five on five, and then they know when to just turn it on, score three goals, jump up to a lead, and then start, you know, being smug and arrogant pricks and pissing you off and getting you off your game. I was about to say, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Um... Yeah, yeah, or, you know, what the Vegas Golden Knights have been able to do, you know, 
since they've got Jack Eichel and some of these, you know, Petrangelo, Eichel, Barbashev, to me, are the keystone players uh, of that team that kind of show. Obviously, they had a lot of parts, you know, players, Marcia Show, you know, uh, Theodore has been there. Chandler Stevenson. Yeah, you know, got Carlson. You know, there's been a lot of guys who are there and, and exemplify that, but it was when they got those players that, um, they were able to do it at such a high level that they could dominate sh- every shift. You know, Eichel's very much like Barkov, where he just dominates m- most every shift, and he just makes everybody so much better. Um, and so, you know, it's just I, it's that's where I have my issues with the Florida defense. It's not that they're aggressive. It's not that they're trying to jump up or, you know, I always say like they, they like to use their defensemen, especially Montour, Ekblad, um, as wingbacks, you know, versus defensemen. Like they're uh-huh. expected they're expected to jump up. They, they're like the offense is built around, you know, and even in, I forget uh, her last name, but Vanessa, I wrote a nice Sportsnet piece on why. Oh, Huberto, yeah, the Jonathan Huberto piece, yes. Uh, I think it was start, her last name starts with a K. But anyway, it was one of the best pieces I've read on the subject. For sure it was the best piece, but just one of the best pieces I've written, I've read this season. Um, and I thought the, the point she made about how Huberto is so adept at biding time, moving east to west, and then finding the trailer or helping defensemen activate successfully um, was so dead on. And that's something that, you know, Huberto is really good at and is not able to do in Calgary because uh, they're more stationary. They're way too, they're overstructured for Huberto, um, over-siloed between Fords and defensemen. But Florida, they love that. That that is that is a huge part of their up ice transition, huge part of their breakouts, huge part of you know just every part of their identity, their forecheck. Everything is built around that idea that you're going to have these defensemen being able to see up ice, have the whole play in front of them, and know when to jump, know when to put pressure on, when to create these. And, you know, you have the centers who are like defensive mids in soccer who are always looking to jump back, fill holes, fill gaps, and are able to do it and still get offense while playing that kind of reserved F3, if not D3 spot. Um, so, but like that's that's why defensemen who make those mistakes over and over and over again. This year, Mohora is everybody's... Um, beating horse you know right now because he makes a lot of mistakes around the net turnovers missing up guys not picking up sticks kulikov has you know lost net front battles he shouldn't that should just be automatic um mikula on pinches or getting caught out not being able to uh you know side to side movement isn't as great so he, he loses checks and stuff but there's you know, just some things that I think they can figure out and become more dominant because every game is close. They don't make it easy. Every game is close. Win or lose, every game's close. And the good teams by themselves 
free periods by blowing games open and sealing them off. As I said, I think a lot of that earlier in the year has been because they don't have Ekblad and Montour, and they've had not had Sam Bennett. But to be honest with you, I've watched. I've looked. I've watched every game. They could have done it without them too. Like they're, they're so they're good. Florida. I mean, I've been preaching it for years. Florida is good, and Florida needs to start having the mentality of they are perennial. They are perennially good. The goal is greatness. And everything should be funneled on how do they get greater. And, you know, the we we already talked about Real Madrid once, but you know <laughs> oh, it's it's you know, they shouldn't they shouldn't be trying to be one offs or they should be trying to be these shoot they should be like we wanna be the Detroit Red Wings. We wanna be a team uh, we wanna be a dynastic team, we wanna be an organization that's known for doing things right, we wanna be a team you know, that is synonymous with doing hockey the right way from any angle, whether, you know, whatever it is, um, and, you know, the whole hockey experience. And I think Florida should be aiming for that because they have the core for it. The ownership has the money for it. They're not a corp- private corporate, you know, brand that has to deal with you know, all these board of trustees and all of this profit and all I this wonder stuff. who you might be They're referring just, to here, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. <laughs> Philadelphia. Um, but, you know, like they're just they're It's a private ownership that can do whatever they want, spend whatever they want. And they're clearly competitive and cl- clearly want to win. Uh, there should they have a competitive advantages with it's a nice place to live and play hockey. The state income tax. And, you know, it's a competitive advantage that they've shown well and shown that under this front office leadership they and this coaching staff and the coaching staff before, they could get things done. You know, they could get things done. They could actualize on their potential that you could play good hockey and still be less stressful than the bigger markets. That's a huge advantage. So from my perspective... Florida should be thinking, you know, why we need to get to the Tampa level. We need to get to the Vegas level. Um, We need to get to, you know, the Detroit until very recently level. Um, You know, we need to get to this always on. We're a pillar of greatness in the sport. Other teams are looking to us of, you know, there's the Columbuses and other teams that are looking and saying, how can we pull a Florida? How can we do this? How can we become, you know, every year going to the second round, third round, fourth round, you know, every year making profit? On that point, I think this start to the regular season has proven, not that we didn't already believe it, but that has proven in some ways that their program, or lack of a better term, the kind of, the words we use, project is the word in soccer, but that they've got something very strong going here because they had every reason to not start well this year because we saw the evidence last year that they found no consistency in the regular season until their backs were quite literally against the cliff. And this year, you know, it took them until January, February to get a three-game winning streak. This year, it happened in November. And the fact that they have been what they've been, which has been a flawed but pretty good team, to start the year with some of the reasons 
that they have had. Like, even a team we expected the Oilers to be a dominant force were, you know, <laughs> we'll get to them. But that's been what's been impressive for the Panthers. It's just they've been quietly good. They've done their jobs. And they've put themselves in a position where they don't have to largely chase anything. Right? In the rest of the Atlantic Division, if you're not Boston, you're chasing. For one reason or another, there's a, there's a reason you have to chase. I'm watching Toronto and Detroit right now. Two teams Florida beat up early in the regular season. And those teams have to chase to start the season. Because they got off to a mediocre start in one way or another. And the Panthers simply haven't had to do that. And that's a credit to everyone in, in you know, identifying the players, identifying the system, getting the, the tenor and the tone of what they're doing right. And that's also credit to the coaching staff, which I did see people say when you started looking at some of the numbers that uh, Paul Maurice might be in contention for coach of the year. I don't necessarily think we should be going that far because every award is going to the Vancouver Canucks, as we know, <laughs> according to people from Vancouver. Look, they're they're having their first good season in a decade. It's okay. Let them have their fun. And, and with everybody else doing bad in Canada, it's going to only make that look nice. Yes, um, but, but for, my point is that the start for the Panthers yeah. this season has been about as good as you could have asked it to be. And the last time we did a show, we were seeing signs of it, but they still needed to grow. Yeah. And we're recording this after the Kings game in which they lost. Okay, they don't play well against the Kings for whatever reason, but... That five-game winning streak in which I don't think they played their best hockey other than Carolina, that they still found ways to win. They still found ways to do what they had to do, to bank points when they had reasons to not bank points. That's not something they did a year ago, and it's going to make their stretch run so much less stressful than it was, and it gives them more energy for when they need that energy the most, which is the playoffs. I mean, yes, I, I definitely understand that, but from my perspective... We already knew that about this team. You know, they they we already know that they can hang in there. You know, they keep saying that, you know, they started poorly, but they hung in there and they found a way to turn it on and win. We knew that they could do that. They pro proved they could do that last year. They've, you know, the last like five games, six games outside the Carolina game, you know, they've that's what they've kind of been relying on. Okay, enough of that. We talked earlier about the need for better support. That's improved. We talked about the need to find, you know, a little more jump uh, and, and less structure and less grind in their game uh, and a little more finesse. And, they, you know, you, that's kind of been there. So they've shown a propensity to improve and evolve. And this is, you know, just the next step. And for me... That's what I'm always going to be looking for this year is, okay, what's the next step for Florida? And for me right now, it's starting early. It's being able to show up to games, put teams away, and be able to manage after the first period when you have a lead or you're comfortable or you're at least dictating play. There's some obvious reasons that they haven't been able to do that, that I agree with, you know, they probably could have done it better with Montour and Ekblad, but they had the chances. I mean, the Columbus game was really frustrating because yeah. there was a 15 minute stretch in that game where they were as dominant as I've ever seen an NHL team be dominant. And yet they still needed to win that in overtime. Right. I, and to me, it's yes, they banked a lot. Of, they banked good points. They're on a good trajectory, but think about it. They could be, in front of Boston or right there tied with Boston 
if they didn't lose if they didn't drop points they should have had against teams they should have had them against because of bad starts or um you know just defensive gaffes and stuff or you know when early in the season they were just not on the same page and again they can work around it they can live with those mistakes and pick up the points elsewhere and stuff but it's only if they progress only if they evolve and like last year was a little more kind of crunched towards the end of the season i mean it was it was a vulgar die last year yeah but you know if you you've already seen that they're started the evolution earlier this year so it's you can tackle more things you don't have to be more chaotic and like for me personally they they can buy themselves times with montour and Eckblad as we already talked about to see if maybe they can work out a trade with one of their defensemen instead of waving and hoping uh because i don't think you know you Okay, Riley's the one wave, but then who's the second? If let because let's just assume they do the right thing and they keep uh, Uvis up all year. You know who's the next wave? If it's you know it's Mahora, is it Kulikov? They really seem to like Kulikov. Um, Mahora's struggle this year, but Mahora is one of their guys. You know, Mahora is one of their like pet projects. So you 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 know they like him. <laughs> Yeah, but Kulikov has, you know, a lot of other points in his favor that are just as meaningful. But to me, Mahora's like, he's already, like, is Mahora somebody that's going to be a top four defenseman or play, even be able to play in a top two pair? I don't think so. I think, you know, this was a big time for him to step up and show he could do it. And to me, he's been the worst defenseman of the top six that have been playing nightly. And, you know, it was on the left side, it was on the right side. You know, I think the pairings haven't helped them. But, you know, Maurice has also made it plain that he's going with these pairings for reasons. And if Mahora can't swim, he can't swim. You know, that just might be how it is. And it's not like he's super young. It's not like he's locked in long term. He's got... I'm pretty sure he's got arbitration rights after this year. He does. Yes. And he's 25, and let's see when his birthday is, May, so he'll be 26 next year. You know, at a certain point, it's like they, you, like, Forsling's 27. So, like, he's not that much younger than Forsling, all things considered. And you have a lot of defensemen who have shown in my opinion, just as well as Mahora, in Carlson, uh, in Ludwig, who you've already waved, and in Kanuna. Oh, that injury to John Ludwig was so sad. Yeah. Which oh, I'm, I'm happy to hear he's back practicing. Uh, and yes. Stuff. I think he's they're taking it really slow with him, as they should, because, you know. Oh, that injury was awful. I, I they, felt they so sick seeing it. Yeah, they picked them up to make up for some of the draft picks they lost in the last couple of years, and it's long-term, so they're not going to rush them back. And with, you know, their experience with Crosby and how, you know, they handled Crosby's concussion and look at his longevity in his career since that, since, you know, they started taking his concussion seriously, um, I think, you know, Pittsburgh does that head stuff right now. I, I do uh, want to... 
change the subject ahead. slightly back to the Panthers defenseman because when they return, when Ekman right, but yeah, returns, so there's a yeah, so there's a question: who who are you waving? Because you know, it's, if it's I had be... my if I had my guess, the what I think they'll do is send Belinskis down, which would be unfair because he's been pretty good. If I would, if I had my choice, it would be Kulikov. Now, this being said, I think they go thirteen and eight for most of the regular season because of the way the roster is structured, which is fine, uh, at least for when everybody's healthy and everybody's in the lineup. And you can do thirteen and eight and get away with it, uh, which is what I would do if I had the choice. Because I don't see any forwards that absolutely have to be on the roster. Because right now it seems like they like the forwards that they have. And Gadjevich can come in and play. But, and he probably should. Like, there are going to be a night when you would, I would want to give one of those guys off. But right now I think it's easier, I think it's easier for them to keep the eight than to do 14. So, but then, but I mean, they still have to wave somebody. I, as I said, my guess is I think they're going to send Belinskis down because it's the easiest if they, thing to do. Okay, if they do that, then it's got to be buying time to trade because, I mean, I don't think you can... That's a rough sell to tell this guy he's... I, I agree with you, and I think he's been good enough to the point where I would have him in the lineup in the ideal top six at this and point. It's, it's not like the AHL isn't already... Juggling with defensemen, too, yeah, you're juggling right. Juggling with too many defensemen as is. And, you know, so at some point they're going to have to make a decision. I think they like Kulikov because he does something that, you know, he's he's more he's the most physical of the defensemen on the ice right now. Um, he can play left and right. Mahor struggled on the right. They had to make that flip. They've been, flip, you know, I think he's gone back and forth. You know, I, I I can't, and you know, with the fluid nature of their system, he ends up on both sides anyway, which is why I'm not the biggest when it comes to handedness fetish uh, that a lot of well, coaches you know, what's interesting. Have. I did, I don't remember what broadcast it was. I think it was the Washington game, and it was the first time any like I don't obviously think Goldie and Moeller have mentioned it, but I think Darren Pang mentioned that all of their defensemen were lefties, and it was the first time I heard anybody mention that on a broadcast. And for us, it was like. Holy crap, they're going to play all lefties to start the year. Right. And some of them are going to play on the right, but they're playing all lefties. And I think Pang mentioned how awkward it is to get the puck out on your backhand when you're under pressure like that. I don't remember exactly what it was because the game was two weeks ago. But that was the point that he mentioned. And it was interesting to see somebody talk about it. I think AJ Molesco mentioned it in the San Jose game too. Right. And it's it's uh, important to mention that because once they get Ekblad and Montour back, you actually have right-handed shot defensemen now. And I wanted to ask you what you think the pairings are going to look like because I was talking with somebody about um, Forsling and OEL, which credit to the Panthers. They saw something in Oliver ekman Larson, and they were right because he's been pretty good. Again, not incredible, not top two pairing defenseman necessarily, although I think he's going to play top four minutes and be pretty good the rest of the way. But the pairing's been pretty good, but you're not going to have those two together when Ekblad and Montour are back because you don't need somebody playing on their offside anymore. So what would you do? I have what I think they're going to do, but what would you do uh, once everybody's back? If you had your ideal choices, what what would the, the pairings look like? That's a great question, uh, and I'm going to have to explain it probably with the go into some handedness stuff after it, but I'll answer your question first. I think 
you have Forsling Montour as the first pair. That's where I would go back. I don't know what you do with the minutes, but as soon as you know, you know, Montour is good with his shoulder. He's taken bumps and given bumps. He's fine. You know, everything feels stable for him. I, you know, Montour Forsling is my first pair. Then I really want to see a Mikola Ekblad pairing. I I would really want to see that given five to eight games concerted look. Uh, I think it it's it's going to have better mobility than the Kulikov. Uh, I know a lot of people a lot of people have the same concerns about Ekblad I have about Mikola, but I think it the way they they would play together will, will work well. Um, when you have a player like Mikola who is much more north-south and gets down up and down the ice like he does, you need a defenseman who's going to be going the same type of way. And that's Ekblad is very much that way. I think Ekblad will be much more up ice. Mikola will cover a lot under but still get up ice enough himself. Uh, so I think that'll work. And then for the third pair, I think – it's going to be Mohora Kulikov, but I would have it be Polinsky's. What about OEL? OEL. I don't OEL think they're scratching right. uh, OEL. I mean, like, I guess that there would be a point where no, I would have right. him. Uh, OEL, OEL um, Kulikov. I, I would have it at a point where he should have some nights off. Like, again, if you're going to do what you're going to do with him, the, he should that, have some nights I mean, off so he doesn't I agree. I agree, but it's like Carl, Carlo Angelotti. Like, you know, sometimes the, he just refuses to change the starting 11. Like, it doesn't matter that, yeah, they should rotate some guys in and, like, you know, Brahim Diaz should be playing some more footy, but you know, like you are, you're stuck with what you got. Um, and I think that they're going to go with a pretty set six when they're back. And I think that Kulikov is a guy they really, really like. He's their Mark Stahl this year. I don't think he's been that bad. I think he's lost battles and he's given up goals and. You know, he deserves to be rotated out, given breaks. He's 33. He's, you know, a depth, more bottom pairing defenseman to begin with. So, you know, I'm fine with all that. But I think they keep him, even though a lot of people expect him to be waived. I think that Kulikov has been better as the season's gone on. But I think Belinskis has been better. This is what I think they're going to do. This is not what I would do, but this is what I think they're going to do. I think they're going back to Ekblad and Forsling. We know they like that pair because, we, you know, we have all the evidence to suggest that they like that pair. I think they're going to put Montour with OEL, although I don't know how that's going to work. I think they're going to try it. And then I think you're going to see Mikola and Kulikov or Mikola and Belinskis, depending on the game. This is what I think they're going to do. Whether I would do it that way, I don't know. I have to see how it all works once Ekblad and Montour play I mean, again. If I'm GM, I'm trying to trade Mahora. I know, I know, people are, but you know, he, he's not. I don't think he's going to be the make or break on any team. He, I, I like him and everything, but he's a younger Demers, Jason Demers. He, you know, he's got some good analytics and everything, but he, it's not like he's a great skater. 
It's not like he's really physical. It's not like he's got great size. It's not like he's really good around the net. You know, he he does everything really good, and for third-pairing minutes, he's fine. But if they're set on Kulikov, Belinsky's playing well to earn it. Uh, you know, I don't know what else you're going to do. And there's teams out there that are going to want Mahora. Like, he's going to have some value, right? I mean... Uh, if I'm the Florida Panthers, I'm trying to trade some of these D, even if it's just for a fifth pick, fifth round pick, even if it's just for, you know, a guy in Europe who uh, is maybe coming over next year. Because I don't want to waive any guy because I think every one of their seven defensemen out, even Mike Riley, is is possible to get claimed. If I think Maher is the most likely to get claimed and Kulikov the second most likely to get claimed. Yeah. I mean, I, the, I think that there was a point earlier in the year when I thought Kulikov was going to get waived and there would be no takers, but now I don't believe that. I, I don't believe... Well, already they've had two players claimed off of waivers this year, so... Okay, but if you're saying that they're going to go 13-8, and eight, that means they're waiving a forward. Right now they're only at 13 forwards. With Gadjevic uh, on the uh, on the, on the cap-friendly roster. Who are we I'm missing at right now? Who we, who's missing uh, They set them? Lockwood down. Okay. Oh, oh. Down. So they're at 13 at the right shame. now. Here, here's a fun one for you. This is from Matt O'Brien. Uh, yes. Lockwood is what everyone said Dryden Hunt was going to be. <laughs> oh, God. We can't He's get actually, off our hobby horses ever. You know, you know, Lockwood has some has speed and everything. He throws his weight around, and it's, he knows how to forecheck and get pucks back, you know, behind the opposition's net. Uh, but he he does more. He does a lot more uh, to add value to the game and tilt the ice than Dryden Hunt does uh, or did for Florida and the Rangers and everybody else he played, played for. Uh, he turned um, out to just be a guy. And again, there's no shame. There's no shame to being just a guy in the NHL. It means really good hockey. Yeah, I would. I would give up like all my toes to be just a guy in the uh, NHL. But yes. Um, like, you know, I'm not saying Lockwood's definitely going to make it or make it here or whatever, but I, I, I do like him. But, I mean, I... We have not spent enough a, time talking about the forwards for because there's been some really impressive stuff from Panthers forwards this year. Well, here's the thing. You know that Zito thinks the mix is too grind... is too The, the 13 forwards they have now, it there's too many grinders and not enough finishers. Or not enough guys who make plays because you know he's been dogged on on patrick Kane. yeah (laughs) i mean that is a very good point whether he's serious or he wants to drive up the price to make it harder for you know colorado or the rangers or toronto or carolina or whoever would be going for him you know but he's making it known that it's okay to talk publicly about how much he's calling Kane's agent because not not only is Friedman talking about it on 32 thoughts you have Dreger talking about it you have pretty much everybody who agents who whoever go to to get the word out is talking about it so I, I really do I mean I don't know that with Kane that if there's a multi-year deal, I doubt Florida does it because there are obvious reasons why you. I wouldn't think do they a do if deal. it's un, if it's if it, it's a million flat or under. 
Yeah, if it's a and very cheap mo- one-year deal and Patrick Kane's like, I'm going here because I know I can win a Stanley Cup with the Panthers and I can score a bunch of goals, like, he would yeah. come to Florida. Now, I don't know if that's his major concern, but I think that if those are his major concerns, then you're not going to have many better choices than yeah. the Panthers, to be honest with you. I think, I think the Panthers would do it if it's for a million, which is buryable now. You can bury that amount. Uh, and because, you know... Welcome to the new world where you can bury a million, but caps don't, you know, the the amount you can bury keeps rising, but the cap doesn't rise. It's just fantastic orchestration by the NHL owners to keep their costs down. Um, but so like, you know, a million for two years, but, and you, and he doesn't have a no move clause, so you can waive him if you need to, uh, I think would make sense for Florida Zito would probably do that. It's really just up to Kane if he wants to be here. Zito's basically going to say, this is the maximum we can do. You know, this is what... And if he has a different idea, they'll be interested in hearing it. But, you know, it's just... If he wants to be here, they're invested in him being here. And uh, I've mixed feelings about that. on both fronts. There's two fronts. I mean, there's the on-ice and then there's the off-ice reasons. Off-ice is not mixed. It's I really don't want somebody who is not only uh, uh, accused and possible rapist, but, you know, was part of that 2010 leadership and core group and the years after that uh, bullied and tormented Kyle Beach. And, and someone else, apparently, according and, to the new lawsuit, allegedly. And, yeah, which will definitely take Joel Quinville out of the coaching hire uh, names. At least, at least for, for the time being. I also yep. want to say from the from the on ice perspective, because yeah. I think all of the off ice concerns are very legitimate. Even though the Panthers employ Nick Cousins, let's be clear. Um, I want to make the on ice concerns very clear, and it came into sharper focus with Nick Backstrom because they had the same surgery, I think, hip resurfacing. Yeah, and Backstrom like is probably done at least this year he might be done forever now that does not mean that it would not go better for patrick kane but we've got players here in nick baxter and patrick kane from the same era of hockey getting the same kind of surgery and trying to come back from it in a league that is less forgiving to that sort of thing now it like if you can't go you can't go like there's no grace period and for the panthers are they going to be willing to take that risk? Now, look, they've got players coming back from long-term injuries that are very different in the case of Ekblad and Montour, but they're younger. And also, the Panthers know these players backwards and forwards. So they've probably got more confidence in the medicals they've got from their medical team. And that could also be the case with the Capitals and Nick Backstrom. Now, there is obviously... The idea that in the case of Patrick Kane, he could return differently than Nick Backstrom. They're different yeah. kinds of players. But that's my number one concern. Because if Patrick Kane doesn't work, and he's coming back, and, he, and you cannot ice him for whatever reason, like, what are you going to do? Like, do you want to... Can you afford, when you're also knowing at the trade deadline that they're going to be active and looking for stuff, whether they bring in Patrick Kane or not, can you afford to, you know take i mean it's not a huge risk but a risk in signing somebody who might not ever be back 
Now, he also could be, and you could, you know, miss out on that, but I think there are more players in the league that you could get at the trade deadline that you could get performance akin to Patrick but Kane. You get, you get Patrick Kane for no assets, um, and Patrick Kane, I mean, the two most likely teams to sign Patrick, two of the three most likely teams besides Florida to sign Patrick Kane, in my mind, are Carolina and the New York Rangers. I don't think the um, Rangers are going down that road again. I think we'll, that the, the, we'll other, the other favorites that I would see in my mind would be Buffalo because of hometown, and right. they might need it right now at this point because Tage Thompson's hurt. And the other is Dallas. I could see the Stars doing that. Yeah. Now, the either... Stars are in the same kind of boat as Florida is, um, and the Hurricanes are also kind of in the same boat Florida is too, and they need scoring more than Florida theoretically needs scoring although i agree with you that their mix is a little too grindy right now and that some of it might be the way they're playing but i think they need yes a little yeah, more finesse. And, and if you're signing patrick way, kane you're not getting him because he's going to do a good job back checking but like and by the way uh i think the focus in practice has been too grindy i think the the whole focus by maurice and the coaching staff has been a bit too grindy and the and that wouldn't be the case if they're finishing their chances but they aren't finishing their chances so i think there's opportunity to change how you practice a little bit uh maybe do some more three on three small area games and you know have some fun get get their shooting confidence up etc um uh but anyway back to what we were talking about with kane i think it's Zito's already shown with how much he paid proactively for Sherratt to set the defenseman market that he's very much into the me getting an asset and me doing something affects other teams and I can get a bigger win by taking somebody from somebody. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the Canes don't get him and you get him, even if he, you know, doesn't work out, you stop the possibility of him working out in Carolina. Uh, there's some players that I think rise to the level where it's worth taking the risk. And based on what Florida can afford, and, you know, that's a, it's going to be a, it's going to be a digestible amount of risk with Patrick Kane, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, he's got the rehip, the, the hip resurfacing thing, but you don't know if they took more of the bone. They resurface more of the bone for back. I mean, I, I, my hope is that when they're going through this process, whatever it is, that they are very thorough with it. And I think all teams are going to be, but you really do need to be in this case. We know Kane's agent is willing to send video of all the training to agents and well, already yes, has. They have already some, done that. That is correct. But like, you know that he and the, the, the offer's been, you know, we're, we're willing to be as open as possible. We want the best fit and everything we want you to trust him and us to trust you all of that um and like listen did i like how he played in the playoffs for the rangers last year no did i think he, he was, was a fit really bad did i think he was a fit on the rangers team no i think they they got they had two they already had patrick canes and they didn't need another patrick kane they needed you know tarasenko was a better ad for them um, and that still didn't even work. So, you know, I, I don't really put that on Kane too much, but there's the possibility that, yeah, that, that work, that do, it doesn't work out here either, but with Kane's age, with the cap limitations that, and the way that Zito has been 
pretty strict and disciplined about handling his cap situation. I don't expect, you know, if Kane comes to Florida, it to be something that Florida can't handle. I mean, we've handled the Borowski contract. We've handled the Andal buyout. We've handled a lot of different issues. I mean, last year, they were doing cap gymnastics every single day of the season and somehow still made it to the Stanley Cup final with every single self-imposed restriction they had. I don't, I'm, you know, like with, with Kane, it's if Zito, you know, obviously if Zito's going hard after it, Maurice is likely on the same page. If Maurice is on the same page, that means he's going to get patience and opportunity. If that's the case, and I mean, are you going to turn down Kane for a million or under if he's on the third line with Lawstrainen and Lundell, and then his defensive di- issues aren't shouldn't be that noticeable because they, he should be sheltered and he should be with two guys who are very good defensive centers. So it shouldn't be an issue and two good penalty killers and stuff. So, and two guys who are young enough and energetic enough to basically work their ass off and fill in all the gaps just so they can get cane the puck and then crash the net or get to the slot to get his passes. You know, like I, I think that is a good setup for Kane. Uh, you know, I'm fine with them. I'm fine without them. I think it makes sense. But you, the idea that they're going to be active in the trade deadline at the trade deadline is true. If they're going to be able to get somebody who has the potential to be the different maker of Patrick Kane does, even at his age, even after coming off his surgery and having just a realistic expectation of what he can do, I still like. Yeah, you might be getting, you know, Alash Hemsky instead of Patrick Kane, but you're still getting somebody who You might be getting Teddy Purcell if we're going to really go back. <laughs> no, well, uh, I mean, yeah, but, you know... You like, know what I mean. I don't think that Florida has the assets and are willing to give up the few assets they have to go get somebody who would be similar to Patrick Kane. I think Kane is a little more unique. Defensively, I think, you know, they'd be willing to throw around some more assets to get a long-term defensive fix. Noah Hannafin. But, yeah, but I don't, yeah, or any of, I mean, there's Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov. Uh, Zadorov uh, I mean, hey, let's bring Uyghur back. I mean, like, there's, and well, there's a lot of defensemen in I Calgary. think there are people in, in, uh, in, in the Panthers sphere who would like another Calgary Flame to be rescued and sent back to South Florida. I don't know how possible that is, but I, I want to talk right. about Hubert but, later. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, Cal- I mean, Uyghur's cap hit as, uh, at least is more realistic because you don't need them to eat any or need half of it. Um, um, uh, in terms of in terms of Patrick Kane, I am also, I mean, from an off ice perspective, I'm a little less agnostic. Yeah. It is very clear where I stand on these things. I said it about Nick Cousins yeah. too, but, but it's not it's not like you know we'll, we'll never talk. You know, like you, you know, know, we're, we're we, always we, going to mention it. It's not something and, we're going to hide. But, but, you know, but we also, discussion. you know, when Nick Cousins scores a goal, it's, you know, Nick Cousins scored a goal. He made a good play. You know, he things may or may uh, not be true of Nick the Cousins playoffs. or Patrick Kane. <laughs> the playoffs last year, you know, right? The yeah, playoffs. But it's, we're not going to, you know, it's we'll deal with it and then we'll move forward um, if it if it does happen. And I think the the from the hockey perspective, if the Panthers can believe that they're getting the best version of Patrick Kane and they hide his weaknesses at this point. 
it's not going to be a locker room thing because the Panthers locker room is fine. Like that's not going to be like, you could have argued. I mean, there was a it locker might room dynamic be. thing in New York. I mean, it could be, but I doubt it because the, that's I mean, not how the Panthers locker room just, operates. It's just like, how will he, I mean, he won't be the biggest voice. He won't be the second level biggest voice. I mean, he will be respected in certain aspects and be asked to do certain things for certain players. But, I mean, it's Barkov and Kachuk's room. You know Akblad, you know Montour have a lot of say. You know guys like Cousins has a lot of say. Bobrovsky obviously has immense say. Uh, and you know like guys like Reinhardt and Verhage are comfortable and set up enough in that room to be leaders there. Lomberg, there's a lot of guys there. If I can see Kane having issue or not really gelling with the locker room and wanting to be more of a voice and not being happy and letting it affect his play. I don't think it'll become an issue where it like deteriorates the Panthers, but I think, you know, he it's yeah, he, he might not get along with this locker room and everything and it might not work out fine, but I think I, you're I right. don't think it's that's not going gonna... to hurt the Panthers in any sort of serious way. Because the Panthers' locker room is, yeah, as you said, it's Barkoff and Kachuk driven, and I don't think Matthew Kachuk's going to let anything like nothing's going to bother him, and nothing bothers yeah. Barkoff either. So I think that that would be, you know, as you as you talked about that that it's not a, I think an off ice. Again, I have more concerns about off ice than on ice, and on ice I'm agnostic to it. Like if they do it, it's going to be what they do, and they have their reasons for it. I get your off-ice concerns if you if you have yeah. them. They are very legitimate. I I promise you I'm saying they're very legitimate. Not not to not to minimize it by saying the Panthers already signed Nick Cousins, but I am here to say that like, you know, unfortunately there are a lot of people in the NHL that have less than desirable, you know, CVs. Yeah. There's not much and, we can do about that. <laughs> and yeah. as long as, as in general, yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. And 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 for me, I think I don't think it's the most likely destination. For Patrick Kane, I think there are other teams that are more likely. Like, I do think Buffalo's probably more likely. I think Carolina I think, might be more likely. I think Florida's on the podium. Yeah, I think they're in it. I think they're in it for sure. I think uh, it's Buffalo, Carolina, Florida. I would say Dallas would be also in there, I think too. Dallas, Colorado are there, too. But I think his preference is East Coast, less Yeah, I travel. think his preference is Eastern Conference, for sure. I, yeah. I think that he probably has a little bit too much. And, and also... For Patrick Kane's perspective, if he goes to Florida, he doesn't have to play the Blackhawks, you know, and yeah. that maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't, but he doesn't have to play Chicago if, yeah. if he comes to Florida. I, I, done I also wouldn't discount Chicago because, if, well, listen, I mean, thinking if he if he's not getting the deal he wants, if Buff, if he wants to go to Buffalo and Buffalo is not going to make the playoffs, maybe he goes to Chicago Uh for the rest of the year proves himself and then can get a long-term deal with Buffalo or another team. Uh, but you know, that's enough Patrick Kane. I do think though that like, okay, outside Patrick Kane, you know, like if Edmonton Edmonton still stinks, but towards the trade deadline, are they moving dry all? I know, I know people were talking about Huberto and McDavid lately, but to me the, the guys, the guy I was thinking about dreaming about. If we're going to be dreaming about Huberto returning at you know half price or um, with what assets, I don't know. Or um, you Watch know, out, getting man. McDavid, the Oilers have won three in a row. Yeah, getting McDavid. You know, 
I, I'd rather Dreisaitl, who's at an $8.5 million cap hit, who's got two years left, so it's not a huge commitment, and uh, I think he's a better fit. Listen, it, I... It will never happen, but I, let's let us stream for a second. I mean, if they... I think it happens more before McDavid gets traded. Probably. In the in the crazy universe in which either of these things happen. By well, the way, I mean, think of, if they stink this year, if this is if you're heading into the draft and and Dreisaitl has one year left and he's telling you I'm not resigning, they have to trade him. Well, that's true. That's for absolutely. So, like, if if it, if we get to the off season, I could see Dreisaitl getting traded, and if he's on the market, I'm saying, how much do you like Spencer Knight? <laughs> Uh, he's playing all right in the AHL, although apparently he is hurt mm. at the moment. I think he's reporting. Uh, he's playing all right, but not wasn't as. I mean, I think his numbers were equal to or worse than Matt Guzda's. So I'm not watching enough Charlotte you know, to, to be able to. I say. mean, he he had a shutout, which was good. Um, let me see checkers here, hockey DB. Because has only played two games, Knight's played seven, but Knight is under 900 save percentage, uh, is two seven four goals against. Weber and Guzda have over nine save percentage and less than that goals against uh, in their five combined games. So Knight's been getting the majority of the starts, but if you just look at the numbers, which it's not a great indicator of performance, uh, Knight's not blowing anything away, especially for the contract he's getting paid for. Um, but there's still value, and obviously he still has a ton of potential. No one's getting down on him yet. But, you know, this, the things I was worried about bef when they drafted him, I'm still worried about now because the issue was he wasn't developed properly. I don't think he's going to be developed properly after, and blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, we we've already talked about that from an AHL perspective. Just on a couple forward topics before we, we switch it up and start to wrap this up with other stuff around the league. Uh, I mean, how much is Sam Reinhart now going to get with uh, tying the league lead in goals and multi-point games and is second in the league in points or whatever it is? It's the, obviously the inverse of last year when in October he did not score at all and was the unluckiest player on earth and he still managed to score 30 goals. Um, we, I was having, I was having this internal debate with myself about the discussions that they must be having with Sam Reinhart right now, because I, I know they want to probably keep him, but we're, we're almost reaching a point in which what the open market will offer in a world in which the cap goes up is going to possibly have a substantial difference than what the Panthers can offer. Uh, even though what the Panthers can offer is obviously a great chance to win and still quite a bit of money. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he, if he wants $9 million cap hit or over, it's just not something Florida can do. I think Florida's much happier at the 8-5 or under cap hit with Reinhardt. Uh, he's at 6-5 now. I think obviously he's going to be 7-5 north at least for Florida. Um, but is he a $10 million player? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I mean, is he a nine million dollar player? I don't know. As much of a, as a little a more heater, likely than ten. Like I think, I think, I think, with the amount of teams that use data, and with a lot of everything 
you know, the way things progress. I don't think Sam Reinhardt's going to get a huge effing deal. Like, I, I really don't see it. I'm not super concerned about it. I'm not saying sign him now because it's only going to get bigger. I think signing him now, you're going to get the biggest number you're going to ever pay for Sam Reinhardt. Uh, I would definitely wait more. I would definitely want him, you know, to see, continue to see more and more of the benefits of playing in Florida before signing a deal. And uh, there is a cap structure. Matt Kachuk very recently signed for 9-5. If Matt Kachuk... You know, Matt Kachuk was coming off 100-and-something points. Reinhardt hasn't hit 100-and-something points yet. He hasn't come close. He's been averaging a little over a point per game, you know, until very recently. You know, you know, you look at all of his time with the Panthers, it's a little over a point per game. It's not over a 100-point pace. You look at his age. You know, you look at him not being a center anymore. Yes, he plays a lot of time on ice. Yes, he's used in a lot of ways. Um but I think the number is going to be a lot more palatable than people think, especially if he stays in Florida. But I think even in the open market, I don't see him getting double digits. I don't see him getting in the in the mid or high nines because uh, to do that, you know, I would rather give that to Willie Nylander, who's shown over a longer period of time to be much more dynamic uh, of a winger. Uh, now, Reinhardt's defensive and fits Florida better, but I think just, you know, from a general market standpoint value, I think guys like Nylander are the guys who are showing that they are going to be breaking into the double digits. Reinhardt showing that he's going to be worth a, a sizable bump off his 6'5", but I don't think it's going to be that much more. Because remember, I mean... 6-5 was considered very high when he signed it for him. So he's, you know, some of what he's proved is that he was worth the deal, not that he's so much more than the deal. That's just my perspective. Well, it's fair enough. I mean, he is on an all-time heater right now. I don't know how yeah, sustainable I mean, that all-time heater is, but he's playing incredibly. Now, as you say... Keep him, but you can't keep everybody... And it's just, I mean, it's less, it's it's harder. Well, also, to, the way you were talking about it when we started seeing the Montour Forsling rumors was, as far as you were concerned, is the, how replaceable uh, is the skill set of the player that they're looking at? Like, I yeah. think they will, and you think, in, in, in your perspective, that it is harder to find replacements for Montour and Forsling for what they do than Reinhardt what he does. Now, that's not to say that Sam Reinhardt isn't incredible, and I love Sam Reinhardt. I think he's as well-rounded a player as you could find that isn't in the Barkoff class. But the way that, you know, they need certain types of defensemen to play the way they play, Forsling and Montour are perfect for that. There might be more players out there in the Sam Reinhart weight class of forwards as opposed to the Montour-Forsling class of defensemen, I think is the way you put it. I hope I put it in the yeah, clearest possible like terms I can because that's, I, mean, I think, what your point was. I, I mean, I definitely think... Reinhardt and Forsling are battling for that, you know, that second most important contract to be signed this offseason. Um, Reinhardt, you know, it's, it's going to be tough, but for, you're right. It's hard to find D that fit your system, do it well, and can do it logging 27 minutes. Forsling can do that. 
He does it well enough. I, you know, I, I keep saying I want to add defensemen better than Forsling. It's nothing against Forsling, but I just want to be the best team in history. I want to, I want people to look at Florida Panthers like they look at the Red Wings. And, you know, I think we can get there. With Forsling, it's just about whether whether he's okay with the term and the cap hit and stuff he's going to get. Uh, and I think it's going to be pretty palatable. I, with Reinhardt, it's just, you know, does he want to test open market or not? Because I think he, he might get $9 million from somebody. He might get, you know, high eights from somebody. I think from Florida, he's going to get eight. I think, you know, Florida, they have a salary cap structure. They're very disciplined to it. I know cap is apparently expanding, but they, again, we've talked about this probably twice already. Every time they say a number, it was lower than what they said last year. You know, like they say, you know, we're on target to be this, to raise the cap, you know, 4 million. Then the next time it's 3.1 million, then it's 2.8 million. And then, you know, it stays 2.8 million. And then they do the final thing and it's like two and a half million. And that's how much they raise the cap. And they're on that pace already. So you can't think of it like that. You got to think of, you know, looking at our cap structure, where do we want to fit Reinhardt in? Doesn't matter what year he's having because he's having that year because of the team. Reinhardt isn't playing any better than he was in the playoffs last year or down the stretch last year. It's just he's getting some puck luck on the goals. And Barkov's playing some of the best hockey he's ever played. Rodriguez is playing all right. I mean, I could. I, 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 I. I think, don't want to spend too much time on that because. But you know, I think Rodriguez is much better suited for not the first line, and I think that's well. The last two games they've swapped uh, Verhage up to the top line. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, put yeah. Cousins on the second line, and Rodriguez has been on the third line. Now I would like to see that from the start. You know, at this point, you might as well stick with it because you're changing it every middle of the game when you're not going. So just stick yeah. with it, um, and. I, I, I completely but he just agree can't, with you. He just can't freaking finish. I mean, he needs this time and space of the power play to just hit the net. But he's still, you know, like he's struggling. Like, or or he has to get one of the best passes and, I've ever seen from a defenseman yeah, to and, score a goal. And like, listen, I'm not saying he's bad or anything, but I'm just, I'm frustrated at him being stapled on the first line and that the narrative is still, wow, he's a great fit, blah, blah. I don't think he's that great of a fit. I think he's being dragged around the ice by two guys going playing some of the best hockey they've played in their careers. Well, uh, I, I on, just on think... the Barkoff point, as I think we should transition a little bit to other topics in the league. Uh, you mean, uh, when you said heart, when you said that trophy, this was Bar- future Hart Trophy winner, when you said that Sasha Barkoff was playing some of the best hockey of his career, uh, you're not joking. Um, his numbers, I Dmitry Filipovich put out something on Sunday that uh, after the Blackhawks game, basically like he had an individual expected goals of like ninety percent in that game. Uh, he's not putting up a terrible amount of points, uh, and I mean terrible and terribly large, but his defensive numbers are stupid at this point. At the, at the start, there is no contender for the Selkie at this point other than him. Because his best competition is injured at this point, I would say. If he's not getting a point 
Like he should have as many points as Reinhardt has in theory. Like he's contributed on just that amount of goals, but he's getting the third assist after winning the puck back and, you know, breaking out of the D zone. Or he's the guy in front of the net screening the goalie and taking away a defenseman when they're scoring. Like he's involved in all of Sam Reinhardt. In just he's a big reason of Sam Reinhardt's success. Uh, he said Reinhardt said it himself. You know, like this is like they're just really vibing right now, and it's. It's fantastic to see. The problem is the other lines, you know, Kachuk's starting to find his way again. Um, but, you know, the other lines aren't so much. And the third line is just really, really it struggling. Is offensively in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it looks offensively lost. Uh, and you got And I think you got to do something about it, not only because it's important to have a third line that can – chipping goals but it's also important that we stay mindful of anton lundell's development and we're not leaving him on an island and we're not develop like there's you know a couple videos of you know is he a bust or not and there's a lot of people talking that he's a bust and he should get traded or like you know anton lundell's actually mid and like you know how the kids talk these days um we're both in you know, our thirties. I don't think they're but that like, much younger than us. But like you know, like Anton Lundell is twenty-two years old, had a great playoff run. But the problem, the concern I'm worried about is: are they taking away the offensive part of his game by not proactively developing it, by not helping them get out of slumps, by not helping them like? Maurice is more than happy to just keep him as a neutral. If he's just doing neutral stuff and and giving effort and working hard, that's fine. Which, in theory, is fine. But if you're trying to develop him into a second-line center eventually one day, that's not great. You know, you want to have him get some more opportunities, put some more pucks in the net, get some more apples, all of that. And I'm, and that might mean Patrick Kane. That might mean Rodriguez coming down. That might mean Reinhardt coming down and getting that line going again. You know, you might have to, you have to walk and chew gum at the same time. And I think that's part of the beauty of having a larger lineup and being more open to rotations is, you get to work on those sort of things. You get to keep everybody going. You get to get everybody confidence. You get to get everybody looks. And uh, that's something I think Florida can benefit from. And some of the areas where they might be able to pick up more regular season points. But I think the it's less tangible than that, the benefit you get from it. I think you, you get um, a team that's going to be more rested and a team that's going to be more diverse and ready to handle whatever's thrown at them in the playoffs by doing it. Yeah, I, as I said, I'm not worried about Anton Lundell's ability to no. be, you know, an incredible player in this league. I think he's had, you know, it's not been easy for him right now. But but I don't think but that that's... Do you think a, the goal should be Philip Deneau, or do you think it should be something more offensive? No, I don't want to say better. Because Philip, you know, who wouldn't want a Philip Deneau on their team? 
But you know that's. I mean, I, I think... we saw last night what Philip Deneau can do, and he, <laughs> he's really good as an eraser. But like, and I think right. there is a role for that. But I think Anton Lundell can be more than that. I know? agree. I agree. This player is not a bust. This player was obviously, as you said, exceptional in the playoffs last year. I thought he was awesome. I thought that, you know, even at times last year, he struggled. But when he shows what you can show, he's really good. I mean, there's a reason why people call him Baby Barkov. Like, it's not that he had, like, nobody can have all of the things that Barkov has at the same time. That's just probably not possible because Barkov's a unicorn. But if Anton Lundell is, like, as his ceiling is 90% of Alexander Barkov or 85% of Alexander Barkov, I, I don't want I don't want to turn that down. I think that player could be a 50-60 point player offensively. And I think right now, as you said, the biggest thing, like, I think Paul Maurice has done a really good job coaching this year. I thought he obviously did a really good job in the playoffs. But there are still elements of the old Paul Maurice that you can see, which is the top six is the offense, and the bottom six is the the neutral, the nothing happens, keep it ticking over so we can get the top lines back out there. And I don't think that, you know, that's necessarily what Anton Lindell needs at this point. You know what could happen, and we weren't necessarily fans of it, but look, it worked for a while last year. I wouldn't be shocked if we see Anton Lindell go back on the wing at some point. Just to get him going in a little confidence. I don't know when you're going to see that. But I mean, if he if he has to be playing with Barkov or Kachuk to make yes, that work. no, like I mean, I, you would be putting him on a wing on the wing in the top six, like and, and and if I was to make a guess, last year it was Barkov, Lundell, and Reinhardt, I think, when and it went it got going really quickly and then it petered out, but eventually it got going. Like I think you could see that at some point because I'm looking at his numbers and uh, they're not good, and that's not where Anton Lundell should be. I I would like him to be higher, uh, in in terms of that. But you could see that. And and the effect you also have is you've got Losterinen who you don't need to worry about offense as much. You don't you're, you're not he's not there to be an elite offensive player. You don't you're not trying to unlock but necessarily I, I the same level think, of offensive talent. I think Losterinen is like he's much more confident and much more stable offensively than Lundell, who's much more bunches and you know desert and. Oh, it's it's feast or famine with yeah, Lundell. I, mean, and I think Losterinen has a little bit more uh, consistency. And and again, like game. you know, it's he's more of a finished product. He's more of like you said, like to me, I'm not Lundell's not going to be a bust if he doesn't evolve into what I want him to be, but I still think he can be Bennett or better. I mean, obviously Bennett, you know, he's not going to have that snarl that. No, he's not the, the same player as Sam Bennett. He's not going to get suspended th- that many times. Oh, he's not like, going to get stupid penalties in a yeah, playoff game. Like he's just, yeah. But like, you know, that level of he's going to be able to chip in 70 or so 65, 70 points and drive a line up and down the ice, you know, a second line up and down the ice and be able to play with guys like Kachuk. Bennett, you know, Lundell should be that good or better. Uh, and, and to me, I think he's on he's on pace to be around that, if not more of a Deneau type of that. But I think he, he can be better. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't want him to be as close to Barkov as possible. And the one thing I think they're doing is they're taking, like, Florida ground out some of their finish. 
when you don't make some plays and take safe plays and do chip and chase hockey more out of your zone into the zone, when you, you know, play a certain way of getting pucks more back to the points and having the D more activate and the D take more of the prime opportunities, I think you do take some of the finish out of players. And I think you're taking it out of Lundell by doing that, especially when he's in the bottom half and he has even less leeway and less focus on making things happen offensively and we, more we just know about that Paul Maurice trusts yeah. him from a defensive perspective. I, that's never been yeah, doubt. But the, yeah. But, but I, does he I, trust him from an offensive perspective? And you know, there are some times where you can see that he's just missing confidence, stuffing it into a pad twice on the, at the side of the net. Oh yeah. 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 You know, like, so, you know, in, in a ideal world, the coach is getting him looks to give him, you know, confidence. They're doing more in practice because it's not just Lindell. I think he's just the prime example of it. But Rodriguez you know, is there too, right? Yeah, I mean, although yeah, he's getting the chances to play with the top line. I mean, so even Barkov for Barkov is, you know, throwing him into the body, you know, hitting the goalie more than you know than he should. I think that they really should. They need to say let like trust that the team understands the compete level, understands the battle, understands all of that, and you know start architecting some of your practice time and game day skates around getting the hands going, getting the finish going, getting the pucks into the corner, you know, into the top right corners of the net, top left corner of the net, and you know, I for I there's so many drills you can do to work on getting pucks in tight up under the crossbar. It's not the most fun for goalies. So maybe you call up Guzda or, you know, you dress a practice goalie or whatever. You just, you know, is take, Hey, you or, have you know, Talis. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I'm what? Joking. you know, you're not playing Stolar's most games anyway. So you just, you know, after he plays a game and is recovered from that game, you send him out there and you have him just, you know, fatigue his groin, just, you know, sprawling out, just, you know, playing all those in tight close drills, but they got to do something because, uh, you know, eventually the comeback luck is going to run out. Eventually they need to show up to games. Eventually they need to find finish. Eventually they need to find in the playoffs. Eventually you're not going to be able to just grit and grind it. You're going to need, and they won. And last year they won every single moment possible in the playoffs. That's not going to happen again. You're going to need to, win games by you know going out there and winning the game as opposed to oh Matthew Kachuk makes a miracle play or somebody makes a miracle play you know what I mean like that's basically what I'm saying and again they have the depth they have the roster there's some decisions they need to make I think it's smart for them to hold on to the defenseman as long as possible uh and try to find a taker try to find some trade back value or try to find the most opportune time to sneak someone through waivers, but eventually they have to make choices. They have to improve the team uh, and they have to keep going and they can't be complacent or happy enough with, Hey, we seem to be coasting into the playoffs. Like we seem to be doing well. Yes. You seem to be doing well right now and everything, but you know, you can, 
we know how quickly things can change, how quickly teams can fall out of playoffs. And you don't want to be that one team to fall out. You don't want to be the one team to take things for granted. And, I mean, uh, they should never take anything for granted yeah, well, after the way last they're year. Starting, but... the, the way they're starting games, they're taking things for granted. I mean, you can tell that the more and more they came back and won those games that they didn't really show up till the second half, you know, it just reinforced some bad, some bad ideas that, hey, we can just turn it on. And there was no cracking of a whip the other way of, yeah, you can turn it on, but let's not have to do that. Let's turn it off in the th- in the third instead of having the, you know, sink or swim. I mean, the, the, um, the first time last night, as we'll eventually, I mean, we try to transition topics, but we can never do it on this show. There's always something else no. to talk about with the Panthers. But the one other point, other than Barkov should win the Selkie and he's going to be there for the heart, although everybody in Vancouver yeah. thinks Elias Pedersen should win it. Okay. The one thing that Sam Reinhart, I was reading the quotes from last night because I didn't catch the end of the game was this is the first time he was like, our our effort wasn't really there. That was the first time I saw that all year. Because in the games where, in the games where even when Paul Maurice was like, we're not playing great, I like our effort, you know, things aren't going, you know, we're not making, we're we're having some mistakes, whatever. And in the biggest games, the most important games of the regular season, when they played Toronto, when they played Boston, when they played Carolina, the effort wasn't a problem. And in, in most cases, they whooped those guys. Like, beat them senseless so that's good but in games like against the kings who are a really good team by the way uh, that that team i mean maybe they'll lose to edmonton in the first round again but they're really good i I don't and i know it's a western conference team california road trip whatever you know you want to prove yourself right and i think you could prove i think they they should have done a little bit more in in that game um and like i want to see that in games that aren't the obvious games that they're going to show up for. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're playing Boston at home the night before Thanksgiving. I know you're going to show up for that game. I know what you're going to do for that game. I've already seen it. You know, you're going to Toronto. I know what you're going to do for that game. Pittsburgh's coming. I know what you're going to do for that game. I I know when you're going to show, like when Vegas comes to town, that they're going to come out like madmen. I know that. But that being said, I know you're good enough also to win some of these games when you're not playing particularly amazing, but I don't think that they need to do that as much as it feels like they've been doing that. But this is the third year in a row where well, Western 20... Conference trips have not, you know, they've basically shown up just to show, they've shown up as in thinking showing up was half the battle. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I thought that they, like in the beginning of the year they weren't getting results and I was saying effort's not the issue. You know, we know that effort's not the issue. And it wasn't at the point in time. But now they're getting even over their five game winning streak, they were getting the results and the points, but I was thinking, man, they're getting they're lucking out because the effort's not there. And and you know, the process wasn't there. Uh not there until until it was, you know, do or die, and they had to really show up to get the points, you know, just in the nick of time. Uh, and uh, it is so funny how I'm that trying works, to be right? consistent, but again, you know, we're still under 20 games. We're still, you know, before American Thanksgiving. We're still, you know, early on. They still haven't gotten Montour and Ekblad back, and there's still a lot to go. But, you know... Um, I would like to see I'm, some comfortable wins. Some 5-1, yeah. 6-2 games where I, you're not sweating it late. Yeah, just, you know, and it's... Again, like we said, it's 
to me, they're a top eight team in the league. Oh, that I don't is, even think there's a question about that right but now. But like, you have to perform as a top eight team in the like, you, which means you're a top eight and it a hockey club in the world. You need to act like it, which means every game needs you should be expecting to win because you expect to play the system. You know your system is the best. You know it can get results. You know it is built on hard work, defense. You know it's built on a progressive system. You know it's adapted to the modern game and where things are going. Uh, you know you have the money. You know you have the support from the front office, the coaching staff. Everything's gelling. You like the team. The, you need to be pushing – the team needs to be pushing themselves – to their best, which should mean like near perfection. Nothing's ever perfect, but you know, they should be expecting to win an absurd amount of games, winning them early, having easy games, winning them any which way. Right now they're grinding out games. They're winning games the hard way. They're showing battle. They're showing what they, you know, they're playing playoff hockey. I want them to show that they can, play easy mode regular season too i want them to show that they can show up and put games away i want you know i i, I just want to see all these different things because that's what top eight teams do the more and that's random what, randy moeller references we get yeah. in a game the more likely the game is a blowout so uh maybe you know yeah shoot for that shoot shoot for making randy moeller and gold goldie have to fill the air with something you know, because just like six to one in the third period. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it 2006, 2007. But instead of them needing to fill the air because it's four nothing, uh, some other team in the first period, it's because it's four nothing. I Panthers mean, remind everyone first. can be reminded of what it was like when the Panthers were up eight one in the first yeah. two periods in 21, 22. Like they don't need to do that all the time, but if they do that, some of the time we're okay. Yeah. I mean, um, and you're seeing it. You're seeing, you know, you're seeing San Jose get blown out. Uh, you're seeing other, and I mean, you you look at who they've struggled. They play down to their competition. That's one of the problem. That's basically what we're saying and getting at is that we need them to start fixing their playing. You know, unless it's the playoffs, they play down it's to a the team that you know. But they need to be there. in the playoffs. You're playing good teams, so you you know you're going to get up for it, but. You know, they played Chicago twice, right? And yes. none of them were easy. None of them were good. Neither they of played, those games were particularly good, no. They played San Jose twice, and... Neither of them were particularly good. This is what we're talking about. It's yes. taking those easy... It's doing that kind of stuff, because again, this team should be, like, the pinnacle of the sport. Like, that's, that's what they should be. Point blank period. It's their time... This is their core. If, you know, they have a, a window here to win trophies. They have a window here to set an identity for the franchise moving forward. I mean, think about it. Five good years of Philadelphia Flyers history set an identity for a franchise that still it needs to be answered to by the front office today. A dying identity, <laughs> you know? based on the way the league's going. That's how much a one core hitting on their potential can do for a franchise. Like, it's ridiculous. So 
That's what Florida needs to do. I have total faith in Zito. I think the ownership wants to put the money into it, wants to win. You know, it's just about them doing it. And, you know, I think they have a good enough coaching staff that you should be expecting this to happen. And and, and I say that because some of the things I complained about last year and some of the things I've complained about this year, I've already noticed improvement where it looks like they're intentionally thinking and working on it, which is all I'm asking. Yeah. Yep. Let's uh, go to some other topics around the league because there are other things that I think we should talk about. Just briefly before we we wrap this up, how about um, your Edmonton Oilers, who were supposed to be good and then weren't, and fired their coach and are in the midst of getting a dead cat bounce? Now, the Oilers are not your... (laughs) traditional bad team because their numbers are all really good and they are having the worst finishing luck that you can imagine at the same time they have you know terrible goaltending who could have ever seen that coming um the one reason why i bring it up is because they have like an absurd win rate in sunrise for reasons i don't quite understand but the oilers are weird like a lot of the things that they've done wrong like obviously wrong the goaltending was wrong the darnell nurse contract was probably not the best idea and some of these other concerns that you have, like you have two of the best players in the world. But we also know that if you get even a little unlucky, and they're not a little unlucky, they're very unlucky, if it goes wrong, look at what happens to them. You know what I mean? And yeah. they still have a chance to make it, and they still might. But Only because they have the two best players in the league, arguably. Yes. You are absolutely right, and I... Like, uh, in some ways, they take that for granted, too. Like, they're just going to be able to get out of any situation because they've got the two best players in the world. But let's be honest. McDavid made the playoffs once in his first, what was it, four years in the league? Or five years in the league, I think it was? I think it was four. Same with Dreisaitl, that might have been one in five. So, like, it's not a guarantee that just because you have two of the best players in the league that you can just turn it on when you have to turn it on. Like, you want to talk about some complacency. The yeah. Oilers had a little it's bit not, of complacency in them. It's not the NBA. You can't do that. And uh, my, I have so many thoughts with the Oilers. They are... You are uh, not the biggest Oilers fan in the world. Let's, well, let's be so, clear about that. <laughs> I say this as someone who used to like the Oilers. So, I liked the Oilers in 2008 when they made the run from the 8th seed with... 2006. Cogliano, yeah, 2006. That's, that's right. Uh, with Cogliano... Um, you know, Pisani, Hemsky has already been mentioned on this podcast, so let's yes. do it again. Um, you know, I picked them before the playoffs started to win the cup with Pronger and all that, and that was awesome. But what Edmonton has constantly done is put too much pressure on their top prospects, who are now in this case are Dreisaitl and McDavid, are two of the best players in the league, to basically patch up any past mistakes by past coaching staff or past uh, general managers and the current deficiencies of the roster. Every time a general manager in Edmonton talks, they couch everything in basically saying the last guy gave me nothing and I still haven't been able to get enough to give them the roster, the coach, the roster they need. And they still fire the coach because it's fire the coach or make a bad trade because no one's going to give you a life preserver because you have two good, two 
because with McDavid and Dreisaitl, getting a life preserver could mean someone losing a cup that they could have won. So did you're not. You, did you get notice it. that in the some of the way that um, it was being talked about with um, Jay Woodcroft? Uh, what was funny about it was it's like, oh, he can't scratch anybody because the roster's so thin, right? Or he can't bench but, anybody because the roster's so thin. I'm looking at him like, so then, uh, so then, what what's the now? New, what's the new coach supposed to do? And 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 by the way. You pick someone who has less experience than Woodcroft and less success at the NHL level than Woodcroft, and which it's makes Connor no David's junior coach. Yeah, and and guess who's making the calls? Connor McDavid's former agent. Yeah, I mean this is what this is why I don't like the Oilers. I look you, like you know, if you're because, an Oilers fan, I completely I get they, it. Like I don't know how you could be an Oilers fan. Like. This is worse. I mean, to be honest, this is worse than anything the Flyers did. I mean, the Flyers, the, you could arguably say, ruined Lindros's career. Imagine if the Flyers lo- ruined li- two of Lindros's at the same time career. Like that, you know, like it's just ridiculous. I, I, I would not knowingly put up with it because look at me and the Flyers and how I left them. <laughs> like I just I just don't like it makes no sense to stick with it because then you're just a fan of misery and being frustrated. Uh, you know, at times I felt similar with the Panthers, but they eventually figured it out and did what they needed to do, took lumps, but did things a different way. I think until I, I can't believe they fired the coach without a trade. You know, typically a coach gets a trade. I mean, that is how it typically works. But, you know, they weren't going to get any decent trades or whatever. So you fire the coach, you bring in someone less experienced. You're basically hoping that placating to McDavid helps, which is basically, again, relying on McDavid to pull you out of it, relying on McDavid and Dreisaitl to pull you out of it. Uh, I think, personally... I want it to. I want this to end with Drysdale and McDavid asking out, and Edmonton having to rebuild and learn as a franchise the right way to do something. I don't think that they should. You don't think they've had it. enough number one overall picks not work out? No, 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 no. I I think that they shouldn't. Just like I don't think Chicago should have Bedard right now. And the more and more that comes out, the more and more basically you know the NHL gave them a number one pick in Bedard to help. Oh, that's okay. Top medium can, can I make one you know point about true. this? You know, can it's I... true because they took first round picks for way less. They took first round picks for way, way less. Can can I make a point about this here? Just, just to make this clear, the current people running the Blackhawks, Kyle Davidson, they seem to have understand that, you know, they not only screwed up, they really screwed up in the past. And, but do Look, they deserve? Do they deserve the number one overall pick? Yes or no? Do they deserve? Like, I'm not gonna go by deserving. I mean, like, should they have been punished more for what they did? Should, should they have yes. lost the first round? Yes, they should pick? have been punished. Should they have been docked more than they were a three million dollar fine, which they made up in three hours when Bedard from the first won the draft pick. lottery? I think that there should have been more of a punishment that includes I think they should- draft picks. I'm not sure it would have been a number one overall pick. Who knows? Because they wouldn't have been included in the lottery, in in my in my view. So my issue is same ownership, same ownership. 
It's the same ownership. So you, you, you can't walk too far away from it. The new front office are guys that have been around and are from that organization. Uh, so again, they can't I don't get think away all, from I, I will never sweep somebody in a broad brush and say that all of them were, you know, had the same mindset that the people at the time Just did. because that they didn't do anything bad doesn't mean that they deserve to keep their first round pick. When the NHL got rid of the Coyotes first round pick because of running a combine when front offices do not well the senators just lost a first round pick too for not being able to tell anyone who had a no trade list right yeah so when your hockey ops when your hockey when your hockey front office does something you lose a draft pick first round pick that's kovalchuk contract and the devils that's been this precedent the fact that this doesn't didn't happen timed perfectly with the Blackhawks needing this pick to stay relevant and that the Blackhawks TV market is necessary for the cap to continue to rise based on the way that the NHL is stubbornly defining hockey-related revenue because the owners want to always be able to claw back escrow from players. Blah, 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 blah. It's just, I'm, I'm tired of it. But they didn't deserve the pick. For 100% sure, I'm going on record. The Chicago Blackhawks, I'm not saying they're still the they're still the enemy, they're still awful, evil empire, but they did not deserve they do not deserve Connor Bedard, and if it was up to me, I would make Connor Bedard a free agent and allow him to pick whatever team he wanted because he does not he, he shouldn't be on the team. The franchises should have to hold themselves to a certain accountability. And if not, they shouldn't get nice things. But the NHL constantly gives draft number one draft picks as a reward for bad behavior, like Pittsburgh saying that they're gonna they're, they're gonna hold the NHL hostage and move to Kansas City unless they get Crosby in. Well, would you look at that? Uh, I don't believe in conspiracy theories when a league like the NHL is. Um... Let's go on to some other topics uh, around the league just briefly because we're running late. Um, three on three. The NHL doesn't like teams circling back on three on three, which, I mean, they're doing it for offensive reasons, as somebody pointed out. I've listened to multiple podcasts about that. Um, I think it's better than four on four. I get that you don't want the shootout. Here's a way to not have the shootout. Don't have the shootout and just have games ends and ties. It's not that hard. So we're making, we're, we're continuing the backwards, incredible gymnastics to make these changes work. If anything, I'm taking this as this is, this is, Hey, let's think about changes we make to the sport before we do them. Look how quickly we already soured on three, three versus three overtime. Look how quickly we already want to punish the natural evolution of three versus three, which everybody knew was going to happen the day it came out. I remember the American wish podcast talking about it when they made these changes that eventually the three on three was going to be tamed, was going to turn into this. We were, and they were even saying, you're going to see guys leave the zone to maintain possession. You're going to see this and that, you know, because frankly, the players aren't going to want to bust their butts on three on three on that ice surface for five minutes. Cause you're shorting the bench. They've already played 60 
they got more games coming. Sometimes it's the night before back to back. Like it's just not happening. You know, like to me, you're trying to bend over backwards to make adjustments that you made recently work. And the reason you're making the adjustments is because you're saying they're not working. People don't like the shootout. Get rid of it. Three on three isn't. If you either live with the adjustments and the natural evolution of how the players and the coaches want to play the game, they should dictate how the game's played. If this is how they want to play the game, let them play the game that way. If they want to maintain possession and swing back and you want to stop it, devise a better way of playing and beat that. So then all, because this is a copycat league, other teams will follow you. That, you know, don't change the rules. I'm so tired of. We have to change the rules. We have to add in this. We have to do more video reviews. We have to do some. Sometimes you, things are just not going to go well for your team, or sometimes things just, you know, like it's not perfect. You, sometimes hockey isn't fair, you know, just like life, and that's just the way it goes. You can see some teams are trying desperately yeah. to end the game in three-on-three three because the Panthers do this, and I think other teams are starting to do it. They're just like, screw it, three forwards. Who cares? Yeah. But, it's I mean, kind like, of funny. But, like, we should be we should be probing for the ant. If, if, the, if the issue is we made changes to the rule book, and now the natural evolution of those rule changes we don't like, the answer should come from the net should come from on the ice. If you if if you want to encourage teams to you know play more offensively, figure out a way to encourage it or you know just live with it or just get go back to go to 4 on 4. Go to so you know 4 on 4 will still have more ice. Uh will still have a lot, you know, offensive stuff or you know, or know. do what Just, all of us have been asking for for years, which is to say three, two, one, zero point system. Yeah, I mean, but like eventually, eventually, you know, there's good rule changes. We just came up on the anniversary of getting rid of the two line pass, I believe. I mean, I was right? skeptical of baseball doing the pitch clock, but you can't say it wasn't awesome because it worked right. exactly the way it's intended, but, and it was great. But eventually, eventually, there the natural progression of baseball m- may find a way to work around the pitch clock and stuff, and then the MLB will either have to accept it or try to work around. I mean, it. they're already trying to shorten the pitch but, clock with runners on base. So, like, I mean, it's yes, but like. I think that's ridiculous. I think we've already seen that. Like, listen, there. I, I sound like Elliot Friedman. Listen, I, I think you could make a drinking game of thirty-two thoughts and drink every time Elliot says "listen" or "look" when he's in the middle of talking hey, uh, to funny. to start to kind of reframe a point. Um, but uh, it's a good podcast. I'm not trying. I'm just you know politely riveting. Uh, but um, I, I think you have to see that the game is inherently good as an inherently a pretty finished product. 
any changes you make have to be thought out and you have to think down the line of how things are going to evolve and things change. And we're not talking 20 years, you know, generations down the line. That's too much. But this, you know, I was, this change was made what, when I was in high school and now we're 15 oh, years later and we're well beyond three people. Th three on three has been around for only like six, seven years at this point. Like, I mean, like, it's ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, if, if you're already needing a change at this point, you need to admit that maybe you shouldn't have made the change or you didn't make the change well, or you did, or you, or maybe instead of getting rid of the change or having to legislate around it, you let it play out a little more. Mm hmm. I, I just, you know, and, and, when people talk about removing offsides, if you are if you have an issue right now with people looping back, remove offsides. See what happens. You will see more of this at five on five. You will see it for all sixty minutes, not oh, just yeah. on three like, or three. I mean, removing offsides sounds great, but then it's it's also like with every action, there are unintended consequences. Like like I don't think people. I don't think people have really thought about it, but the blue lines actually add in mechanisms that allow for more back and forth, more up and down, more run and gun and more exciting hockey and more mistakes, more chaotic hockey, which for the fans is better, more goals, etc. You take it out, you're going to become much more possession, much more soccer based. And, and I don't uh, think people the fan base already wants complain about uh, soccer, don't they? Yeah. Well, yeah, and I don't, but I mean the the hockey fan base wants fast pace, and I think by taking out the blue lines or to even going to like the red line being the new blue line, you know, like that would still the the size the size of the zone was already expanded. Uh -huh. There's already enough pressure points. You need to have a smaller area to create those pressure points. So it's not just hold on to the puck. It's not like a lacrosse game where guys just throw it around the box. Well, no, in lacrosse, what you have is, I know some of you know this already, in lacrosse, you have designated players where defenders can go, where attackers can go. Yeah. Like, you have designated areas of the field, but you're playing with many, many more players in lacrosse yeah. than you are on but, hockey like, for but, obvious but reasons. Like, lacrosse for the offensive zone, I mean, you, you just like, it's around the horn. Like you're just passing it. You know, there's some, plays. Oh, it's a lot of around the horn passing. Yeah. Kind of and like it, hockey, and it should they, be said. there has to be a shot clock involved because otherwise there you're used just to passing not be a shot clock in lacrosse. And right. yeah, I mean, imagine what the game looked like. So, so, so then you're going to, if you take up like, eventually I think people don't understand that. Like if you mess with all sides too much, you're going to eventually have a shot clock in hockey. I mean, that's like, what some people are asking for right now and, with three oh, on three God. is a shot clock. Oh, and this is what I'm talking like people like I'm all for change. I'm all for progress. I mean, listen, like, oh God, I'm Elliot. Oh God. Um, it's okay. Elliot Freeman's but, not a bad person to be. But like the Russian five, you know, there's so much about like progressive hockey skilled, you know, the way hockey's going the the way the skating's progressing, the equipment's progressing. I'm a fan of all of that. I'm not trying to stifle it. I just think we have to be mindful and be and be very proactive about how we shape hockey because it's already pretty freaking cool. 
The issues are the expense to play, the opportunities to play for most people in the world, uh, which involve expense, um, but also involve climate and some, you know, just other issues. Um, you know, the gatekeeping that is with the sport based on, you know, all different types of things, you know, gender, sexuality, skin color, religion, you know, a lot of things is a very, it looks, hockey looks one way (laughs) in most Uh places, uh, in most countries and, uh, you know, changing that, but the rules the you know, some of the essence and the spirit of the sport is nearly perfect. Like, I mean, I would say that in many ways, the actual on ice product for the NHL, and I think this is a good place to wrap up, is not in a bad place. In fact, it's in a much better place than it's been in a really long time. The skill level is incredible, you know not just from your elite players, but as you talked about earlier, your fourth liner, the skill is insane. The quality of hockey is better than it has been in forever. That's why you're going to see talk of expansion because now there's so many good players that aren't actually in the league and the players that are coming into the league are ludicrously good. Like the on-ice product itself, it's got problems. I mean, but even like the best on-ice product or on-field products right now, the NFL yeah. has a bunch of problems too. Like the yeah. NBA has problems. They all do. But I'd and, rather and, I'd rather work with I'd rather improve officiating than improve the rule book officials use. To be honest with you, in, in many ways, like look, there, th- that that's one of the things we talk about. Like the skill level is just, I mean, ludicrous. It's, there are lots of things in this game that it could improve. And at some point, I think, you know, you, you do overdo it a little bit. You do try to make more out of something than you can. Like, I mean, I'm watching right now the, the technically the third goaltender for the Detroit Red Wings. It's Alex Lyon. You know, he's playing against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we already know what he could do. Like, this is how good third goalies in the NHL are right now. Third goalies. Yeah. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. I, I think... You know, personally, I don't know how I feel about expansion. I'd rather expand some lineups and stuff. But, you know, we could, you know, 35, 36 teams. It's not out of the oh, realm of Oh, we're getting there. I don't know when we're going to get there, but we're um, going to get there. Yeah. and But it if if everything is about, you know, you, you look at what, you know, Quinn Hughes I has mean, done for – defenseman what kale mccarr has done for defensemen you look at some of the young forwards out there bedard I mean, obviously whatever you want to say about someone. connor bedard his shot is but it's like, as advertised and and that is revolutionizing the way players play games and that's only possible because of the revolution is the revolution of hockey equipment the way that shot is technically done was not possible unless you grew up playing with I would say one piece sticks after 2010, 2000, you know, like the, like just that whip and the way flex and everything has changed, you know, the way, the way people, you know, the sticks are sized and everything like it's completely changed. Uh, and that kind of stuff is awesome. And teams should be leaning into Florida should be paying people to study this so they can figure out what to scout, what, you know, what techniques and what, 
uh, developments and what areas are going to blow up and impact hockey the most and scout the players that are pushing those areas uh, or, or show to be like a product of those areas. You know, there's so many things around hockey that is great and not broken uh, that you don't need to fix. <laughs> I, I, I think with three on three, it's like, I, I get it. I understand the drive behind I, it. I don't know if you're necessarily looking in the right place. I think, I think you have to do personally for me, I would do uh, longer over no shootout longer overtime. And it starts four on four and then progresses to three on three. That's you how I would do four it for five minutes. I mean, I know why they wouldn't I don't, do I don't that. Know. But. I think I, th- I don't know what the time is going to be. You have to work that out with four on four for schedule. five minutes, three on yeah. three for five minutes. Cause then yeah. you get tired I, I think, and then tired I, I players think, lead to more. I think goals. eight minutes is probably the best overtime length. Cause it's, I think longer than five is good, but I don't know. Ten. I don't like, think they would want to do 10. I get, Oh, the Leafs eight, just tied it. So I think you get, you get five, four on four, three, minutes of three on three and it's eight minutes total uh you could do a dry scrape or whatever in between you get a commercial break in between the four on four and the three on three and uh you just do and you just live with it you know what and and again please go to the three point win system three for regulation win two for overtime i think again you you want people to take like the regular season more seriously and you want people to take overtime more seriously i know why the yeah. league is There's, you know skeptical of that but i'm just saying i i don't do three two one zero already yeah, it's not hard. i don't want it like there's just <laughs> the nhl is launching nfts not In yet 2023 but, no early 2024 Oh yeah. Okay. Like yes. like the the, like the the marketing launches now, but the actual platform and everything is early 2024. That's how that's how uh, on the pulse the NHL is. So when it comes to these rule changes and everything, you can understand our frustration because uh, they constantly try to like. I don't think that they they always try to answer questions that are being asked by fans or ownerships or teams or players to fix, but they always try to do it in the least effective way possible. And they always point it at the wrong direction. Remember as I end this show for you now, remember (laughs) what I said about the pride tape ban and all of this, the NHL is reactive. It's never proactive. They could serve to be a little bit more proactive in the future, not just looking at, Hey, the NBA did this thing three years ago, and now we got to get in on it. Nobody's gonna buy an NFT unless, I guess, you're one of somebody who believes Sam Bankman-Fried wasn't actually a criminal. That dude was even a worse—he <laughs> was worse than Bernie Madoff. Anyway, we will have more Y hockey in the future. It is U.S. Thanksgiving, so that means Panthers are in a postseason position. Cross your fingers. That means they could still be there for a while. There will be more to talk about for sure, including what other. Uh, inevitable grift is the NHL going to get in on. NHL AI, they'll get to that one in 2028, I guess. Till then, good night and good hockey.